If you want to open up to Isaiah chapter 8, we'll get started. In 2004, Viktor Yushchenko stood for the presidency of Ukraine. Viktor Yushchenko was opposed by the ruling party, a very oppressive political party, who did not want him to become president. Uh, they, were, they were so extreme that they actually went to mysteriously poisoning Viktor Yushchenko. Uh, they poisoned him, almost took his life. Uh, the poison destroyed his face, disfigured him. Viktor Yushchenko decided to continue to run in the midst of that persecution, believed in his political party, believed in the freedom of Ukraine, continued to run against the opposing ruling party. On the night of the election, the, uh, the ruling party who was opposing Viktor Yushchenko was in control of the local media and saw that they were losing to Viktor Yushchenko, so they threw out some propaganda and told the news media to announce that Viktor Yushchenko had been defeated. Viktor Yushchenko, uh, even though he was winning, the narrative was that he was losing. People didn't even, know, didn't even need to go to vote because he was losing so bad. One of the newscasters was a woman named Natalie Dimitrik. And Natalie Dimitrik was part of the news media team that was there to translate for the deaf community in Ukraine. She knew sign language. And so as the news uh, was, was going, she would be in the little corner of the screen signing uh, translating what the news was. When she heard the propaganda that, that Viktor Yushchenko was losing, she knew it wasn't true. And she knew that she had to do something about it to let the people of Ukraine know that this was not correct. So in sign language, without anyone knowing it, she said these words, I'm addressing the deaf citizens of Ukraine. They are lying and I am ashamed to translate those lies. Yushchenko is our president. Something interesting happened. The deaf community saw this. Nobody else knew what was going on. The deaf community in Ukraine saw this and started texting each other and saying, hold on here, there's another story, there's another narrative. Yushchenko's not losing. The deaf community started to rally their friends. The deaf community started to tell everyone, this isn't true. There's actually something else going on here. This was all propaganda. And before you know it, they're able to rally about a million people who march on Kiev. This is known as the Orange revolution. And it occurred uh, in 2004 where the people basically forced the government to do a re-election. A re-election that was fair and just. And Viktor Yushchenko goes on to win the presidency of Ukraine. Super interesting story. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that happening. It happened pretty recently in our lifetime. A fascinating story of how uh, someone who was Signing, using sign language, transformed an entire country. The author Philip Yancey starts to talk about this. This is how I kind of came across this story. Philip Yancey is one of my, my favorite Christian authors. And he talks about how just in the corner of this big screen, in the corner was this other narrative. The true story was being told by this woman, Natalie Dimitrik, through sign language. And he starts to write about what happens here is this almost like this subversive message in the corner of the big screen. The true story was told. Philip Yancey starts to talk about this is kind of how the church works in the world. And as we even think about this Christmas season, Advent, this is how I think God has worked in the world. Advent, the coming of Jesus happens in the midst of the big screen Roman Empire, one of the most powerful empires the world has ever seen, where the man 
who is ruling the empire, the emperor, is seen as the supreme being. And here in the corner of the empire, in a place, in a little town called Bethlehem, God almost like signs in this message that there's a different narrative. There's a better story. There's a truer story being told. We see that Christmas is much like this subversive message. It's not here on the big screen, but it's in the little corner, this message that's being told about how the truth works in this world. The message of the Advent season is that a better and truer story is being told in this world, and it's being told through this child, Jesus Christ. We're starting the series on Advent today, and we're reminded of how God works in our world, how he enters into this world as a child, very unassuming, very fragile, very vulnerable. It's telling us something more about how God works in our hearts. Advent is a Latin word that means coming or visitation. This is the Advent season where we celebrate the coming of our Messiah and Savior. As followers of Jesus, we believe that this story of Advent is the true story of how the world works. There's a better story, a truer story being told as we turn to this Christmas story over the next month. The Advent is celebrate, celebrates four themes the coming of Jesus. And those four themes are hope. It's the first one. We lit the hope candle today. The second theme is peace. The third theme is joy. And the fourth theme is love. So for the next month, we're going to look at those themes. And today we want to start with hope. It's always interesting when we start the Advent season, you'd think that we would start with the gospel Christmas stories. But the story of hope starts even before that. And this passage I want to look at in Isaiah uh, is actually written at least 500 years before Jesus is born. Maybe even more than that. The book of Isaiah is uh, found in the Old Testament. It's one of the major prophets. Isaiah is known uh, by many scholars as kind of like the fifth evangelist, even though he's in the Old Testament. The way that he writes about the coming of the Messiah with anticipation. Some scholars would say that he writes about the future as if it's almost happened already, which I think is interesting. But Isaiah does something here with the people of God. And I just want you to kind of catch the tone of what Isaiah writes. We'll start in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21. It says, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. And when they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. And then they will look toward the earth and see only darkness, distress, and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. I always think it's interesting that it's a great way to start the Christmas story, right? So depressing and dark. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
and Prince of Peace. We look at this passage. What we find Isaiah doing is taking the people of God and moving them from despair to hope. From despair to hope. He meets them in the moment of their darkness and desperation and starts to talk about how this Messiah is coming, that God is about to intervene in the world. And because of that, we have hope. Because of that, we can be hopeful. For to us, a child is born. This is a prediction coming from Isaiah as he anticipates the coming Messiah. It's interesting to think of the language of this passage. When we look at the Gospels, we see the old Christmas story found in Luke. We'll hear these words, and they're very familiar. In Luke chapter 2, I'll just read 8 through 11. It says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this is a sign, you will, a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It's interesting how Luke picks up on this language of Isaiah. Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born. And here Luke says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Advent becomes very personal. It becomes very personal. What this Savior, this Messiah is, this God intervening in this world where he's taking darkness and bringing about light and he's taking desperation and despair and bringing about hope. It starts on this personal level inside of our hearts. This great, cosmic, majestic God becomes a human, becomes personal and enters into our life and our story. Advent is this personal story. With all the other implications, God meets us one-on-one. But what is hope? What is this hope that we are supposed to be a part of? You might define hope, and this is a good definition, that hope is that your current situation is not the end of the story. Hope is that your current situation is not the end of the story. I think that has... Hope has huge ramifications for our lives. And maybe you're in a place where you need hope. Maybe, maybe it's something that you're, you're in a, just a challenging marriage. Your current situation is just very challenging, and you need hope. Maybe it's your financial situation. Financial situation seems hopeless. Maybe the situation at work. Maybe, like me, you're a Suns fan, and it's completely <laughs> hopeless. I don't know what your situation is, but this idea of hope is that our current situation is never the end of the story. And I would suggest that followers of Jesus live uniquely different in this world because of this idea of hope. Isaiah moves God's people from despair to hope, this Messiah, one that we can hope in. I'm wondering what this idea of hope is as Isaiah presents it. There's a story of two identical twins that were born. And these two identical twins, they're alike in every way. They're alike in every way except for one. One of the twins is hope-filled optimist. 
He sees the bright side of everything. He sees a silver lining in everything. The other identical twin is a dark pessimist. And he only sees kind of the downside of every situation. He's always the worst case scenario. And as these two identical twins start growing up, the parents pick up on this. They're so similar in every way, except for one's an optimist and one's a pessimist. And it's so extreme that it like, affects the way that their family dynamics are. Because no matter what, one son responds negatively, one responds positively. So finally decided they're going to go to the doctor for this. And they're the kind of family that is like, we don't go to the doctor for these kind of things, but we're going to go to the doctor for this and find out what can we do about these two identical twins that are completely opposite. One's an optimist, one's a pessimist. And the doctor had this plan. He suggested, on the next birthday, here's what you should do. Give the twin that's a pessimist the best bike you can find, whether a dirt bike or a racer. Find the, the funnest, shiniest bike you can find and give it to him on his birthday. And then go to the optimist and take it to the other extreme. Give the optimist a pile of manure for his birthday. Just watch what happens. The parents thought, that's kind of strange, but maybe this will kind of change you know, their outlook on life. And, and we don't like to treat them differently. We want to be fair, but let's just do it and see what happens. So the birthday comes. And they go to the, the son who's the pessimist, and they open up a bike, and it's a brand new bike, and it's glorious. And the, op, the, the pessimistic son sees it, and there's a twinkle in his eye as he sees it, but then he says, you give me a bike, but I don't even know how to ride this, and chances are if I tried to, I'm probably going to break my leg, which the parents are like, oh. Then the optimist boy opens his present. Excited anticipation, and he opens up a pile of manure, and he looks at it with a big smile, and he runs outside, and he says, you can't fool me. This much manure, there must be a pony for me waiting outside. Where is it? And runs outside. One is optimistic, one's pessimistic, but hope, hope is more than optimism, right? There's this, there's this way that we look at life where we look at things as, as with anticipation for the good or with despair for the bad. But I would say this, that hope is more than that. Hope is more than just optimism, optimism or wishful thinking. The kind of hope that God's people have here isn't based on just we think things are going to work out. There's something deeper going on. Here's a psalm that talks about hope. In Psalm 3, says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You, O Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I will call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I will lie down and sleep and wake again, because the Lord sustains me. The kind of hope that God's people have isn't just merely optimism, which optimism is great, but there's this steadfast faith for people who follow Jesus, that they live life not with just optimistic outlook, but with a holy anticipation. Holy, that means set apart, anticipating that God is involved and sovereign in this world, and he moves on our behalf in this world. This is the kind of hope that God's people live with. 
This is the kind of hope that makes us uniquely different than the world around us. We live with this holy anticipation that in the midst of despair, in the midst of the most difficult things, God is with us. God is with us. That means followers of Jesus, we receive bad news differently because we have hope. We go through difficult circumstances differently because we have hope. We suffer differently because we have hope. Hope is this holy anticipation that the sovereign God is with us. The story of Christmas is about God, Emmanuel, coming. Hope is more, it's more than just optimism. It's a steadfast, holy anticipation. There's another story about a town called Flagstaff. It's not Flagstaff, Arizona. It's Flagstaff, Maine. And if you look on a map, what you'll find is that Flagstaff, Maine no longer exists. In fact, there's a big lake that's over it. But this town has a history. In the early 1900s, it was your classic small town, uh, America, up in the northeast, a nice little New England town. But the state government had plans uh, had plans to reroute a river, to dam up a river. And in order for them to do that, they were going to have to flood this town of Flagstaff. And so the people who were living in this town uh, were kind of tipped off to this, that it was going to happen. And it was going to take decades for this plan to be enacted, but the people living in the town got wind of it. And it's interesting what happened psychologically in that town. And people knew they were going to be displaced and compensated for what was going to happen. But psychologically, once they knew that that town had no future, they stopped taking care of it. The town started to break down. And rightfully so, right? Like, why would you continue to pour resources into something that was doomed? But over the next 10 years or so, the people, before they were displaced and and compensated for their town, the town just kind of corroded before their eyes. They stopped fixing it up. And it's interesting what happens when there is no future. When there is no future, it changes how we live in the present. And in fact, I would say where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present moment. We don't travel through this life like the citizens of Flagstaff, though. We don't believe that everything is going to be doomed. We believe that everything is going to be restored. This Christian message is that God sees the brokenness of this world and he wants to put it back together and heal it and redeem it. And so we look to the future with anticipation that gives us power in the present. And hope gives us power in the present moment. We join God in his work of redeeming and restoring and healing this broken world. Hope changes how we live in the here and now. We don't give up on things that are broken. We believe that God is going to redeem and restore them. There's an interesting contrast between darkness and light that's in this Isaiah passage. A light has come. Those living in darkness. There's been this light that's been revealed. One of the gospel writers writing about Christmas And John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We have power in our present moment because we are people of the light. And the darkness of this world cannot overcome that light. So what does hope do? It gives us this steadfast, holy anticipation as we journey through this world. And it gives us power in the present moment because of what our future is. And thirdly, our hope is based on Christ. We place our hope in God. And I think that's important because we live in a world where we place hope in all sorts of different things, like Bitcoin, right? We place hope in our economy. We place hope in our relationships. We place hope in our politicians. We place hope in our celebrities. We place hope in our possessions. There's all sorts of things that we we place hope in for security, for life that we think is full. But what we find is that hope in Christ, hope in Christ is the only true hope. It's a hope that is eternal. It's a hope that's steadfast and unshakable. It's a hope that doesn't fail us. It's not based on things of this world that are human, that tend to break down, that are tainted. It's hope that is based on Christ. I love what Colossians 1.27 says, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The story of Christmas is Christ coming into this world to reveal to us what God is like. And as we see the Christ child, and we start to be revealed more about God and his love and his peace and his joy, what we find is that we place hope in something that is unshakable, hope in something that is uncorruptible, hope in something that is eternal. That is where we place our hope. Our hope in this life is based on something that's eternal. And the fourth thing about this hope is that it's contagious. I would say it's infectious. It's something that flows out of us. When a group of followers of Jesus are living uniquely different than the world because of a steadfast, holy anticipation, it resonates with a community. Last week, we talked about the idea of how gratefulness, what gratefulness does for a community, how it builds a community and binds a community together. And I think hope does the same thing. There's something about a group of people who have power in the present moment because they have hope in something that is outside of this world that is infectious for others. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This is the hope that we have. That God loves the world so much that he sends Jesus here. And he reveals his heart through his son, Jesus. And not only does Jesus reveal to us what God is like, but Jesus goes 
and suffers for us. And he goes to the cross. And on the cross, he absorbs all the consequences for the brokenness and sin of this world. And on the cross, he conquers death and sin. And then he rises from the dead. That is where our hope is found in this world. That is the truer story that's being told at the corner of the screen, of the big screen of this world. This Advent story, the truer and better story. Today, as we, as we close, I want to close with us corporately reciting this passage of hope from Isaiah. And Tim's going to come back up and we're going to close with a song. But for Advent, this first Sunday, we're not going to take communion together. Instead, we're going to commune by reciting scripture. As Tim comes up, here's the invitation today. The invitation is to place your hope in Christ. To open your heart to the story of Christmas. To the coming of God, Emmanuel, God with us. To live life with the holy anticipation that this Messiah pursues you with love grace, forgiveness, and healing. As we close today, let's rise to our feet and recite the the words of Isaiah. Please say these with me. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's spend time worshiping now. Lord, we thank you so much for this message of hope. As we start this Advent season, Lord, we're reminded of this truer story, this better story that's being told. A story that's different than the story of the world. That's different than the narrative of the world, Lord. A story that points us to eternity. Lord, we want to be a people that live a life of unique hope, steadfast with the holy anticipation that you are intervening in this world. That, Lord, that we would be the people of hope, that we would carry on this message for others. That we would have power in the present moment, Lord, because of our future because of what you've done, because of what you are doing. Lord, that you would move us from despair and darkness to light and hope. We worship you now. In your son's name we pray. Amen.